everybody, and welcome to a revealing Wild Ride with Steve-O. Not only are we going to learn some crazy stuff about a legend of hip-hop, which Too Short is, we're also going to perhaps reveal me to be getting pretty good at interviewing people. I think I did a good job on this one, man. But let me tell you what does a great job. The Tushy Ace from HelloTushy.com. I'm telling you, man, I've always said this is my favorite sponsor of the Wild Ride Podcast, and that is not changing, man. This new product comes with a remote that just sticks to my wall. When I get ready to take a dump, boom, I hit seat temperature, so that just warms up the seat, so I'm nice and comfy. I take my dump, and then when I get done, boom, I blast the the bum blaster oh my gosh it's just the most luxurious bidet that you could possibly get and it's got a front blaster for the ladies too so when i get done blasting my butt then i hit dry boom and a little butt dryer comes out it's so comfy it's so luxurious the holidays are coming up and you cannot get a more luxurious gift for the person that you love. Yeah. So go to hellotishy.com slash Stevo to get 10% off your order and be among the very first people to ever try the Tushy Ace. Man, it is so awesome. One more time. Hellotushy.com slash Stevo for 10% off your order and so that you can be one of the very first people to get a chance to try the Tushy Ace. Now let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, too short. <laughs> yeah, dude. What's up, dude? What's up? What's up? This is my co-host Scott Randolph. What's going on? And up at the front, we have the gorgeous Paul Brisky. Well, nice up, man? to meet you, man. How are you? Chilling, I bro. gotta tell on myself, man. I'm fucking later than shit, dude. How late are I you? I get so, dude. It's so uncomfortable for me to be going somewhere where I'm late, and it's just like all over my body. It was physically just uncomfortable. I was filming a surf show for Kook of the Day. And I did catch five waves, but <laughs> we were supposed to start 50 minutes ago. This is an awful embarrassment. It's so unprofessional of me, and I'm so sorry well, that we did that. It's a dope whip. It's all good, man. I'm kind of... Uh, so you're the kook of the day. Yeah. I am the kook <laughs> of the day, You're dude. too late. I'm on, I'm on a carefree day today, so it's cool. It's dude, cool. epic, yeah, man. That's good. Thank you. Good. So yeah, dude, I mean, I mean, where to begin, dude? Like, you, you got a career that's gone for fucking ever. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where you begin. You just kind of. You just kind of exist. You just. Yeah. Is, there is no beginning. There is no ending. <laughs> I, I, I was checking it out, dude. Like, uh, did, did, is it your your career really began in earnest in 1983? Around that time, I started. I first started rapping in the year 1980. I first heard rap in '79. Yeah. So a year later, I'm like, I can do this, and I just. It was just a little high school hobby. And right near the end of high school, it started, like, really growing. At that time, like, when did, the, like, the Fat Boys come out? That was the same time, 82, 83, same time, right. Run DMC. Mm -hmm. so Run, Run DMC was, uh, were they even that early? They were there, um, you know, Crush Groove, the movie, was a big deal. That was, like, okay. 1984. Right. You know, at that time, Curtis Blow was the big guy in the movie, and... Run DMC was, you know, the, the next upcoming stars, and LL Cool J emerged as. But that's still way later. 
Hello, yeah, but Kojo. you know, I'm, but he he appeared in that movie. Okay, he was like the new guy kicked in the door at his radio. But during that time, all this is taking place. I'm famous in the Bay Area. Yeah, like I'm I'm not making records. I'm not signed to a label, but I'm famous. I'm doing parties. I'm making money. I'm in high school, and I'm just like you know, wow. I don't. I'm not really getting the opportunity of being on a major label, which I'm glad I wasn't because I had a lot of time to be mediocre and learn, you know? Sure. By the time I got to a major label, I was a seasoned veteran. What was the the label? Your first label was called 75? 75 Girls Records. That was a local label, and the guy who owned it, his name was Dean Hodges, and he had somewhere along in life, he got the formula of how to be an independent label. So 75 Girls is a pimping reference, I would imagine. It is a reference that he got from a Johnny Guitar Watson song. I don't know the name of the song. I know we used to listen to it. And Dean Hodges really loved this one line in the song. Johnny Guitar Watson sings like he was on a horse or a motorcycle or something. I don't, I can't remember. It's a long time ago. But he rides up and all in one motion, he kisses 75 girls at the same time. <laughs> and Dean liked that so much, he named his label 75 Girls Records. Nice, that's pretty good. Man. Wow. It's, it's, that's an independent label. Yeah. Now, you're, you, you recorded three albums on that label? They released three albums. I recorded two. The oh, third wow. one, <laughs> The third album was a homemade tape that I used to just sit around making these little homemade tapes with a mixer and a turntable and turn some records over the instrumental side and just record songs that I wrote. And they found after I did the two albums and, you know, we moved on. It was like a family environment. Because sure. the next venture that we did, I did it with, Dean Hodges' little brother and his first cousin. You know, it was just... Oh, off, that was the, the dangerous... Dangerous music. Yeah. So we're just off to the next, and it was still still in the family. But, but you know, um, I mean, man, you know, it was, I could tell you things about those years. Like, things. Sure. So, so the albums that you, were, that you put out with 75 Girls, are those the tapes that you're selling in the park? So two, two of them were literally in the studio working in a really nice studio the one is titled don't stop rapping sure recorded at a studio that was the very first one yeah it was recorded at a studio in uh san francisco different fur and the next one after that was called players same thing we went in the studio and you know i'm working with professional engineers and professional musicians and i'm learning i'm really learning how to do all these things that are going to come and play later on and then the third one like i said they found a little homemade tape i had made and they manufactured it later on after i got signed to jive oh damn like okay we got a little little secret weapon but you know i never had a problem with 75 girls because for one we never we never had an agreement we never had a written agreement two dean hodges taught me detail how to run a independent label every step from a to z and then third, you know, he taught me how to be a player. So not only was I, you know, working with these professional musicians in a professional studio, you know, we had endless weed. It was like fucking like, like, like cocaine was free. Everything was just free. Just make music and be in the environment. And I learned a lot. So right. I never had any problem with 75 Girls because when I look back, it was I was like earning a master's degree, mm-hmm. sure, at being a fucking player and a rapper and whatever. I, what I think is really interesting too is that uh, you know, 
coming out of LA, it, there, there was like a, like the hip hop was like heavily influenced by gang culture. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really have gang culture in, in Oakland so much as just hustlers and pimps. Let me tell you something that every single hustler and every single pimp knows. That is that you have to smell good, man. And I like to feel good about smelling good, and that's why I use native deodorant. Because they don't test on animals, it's totally vegan, they only use ingredients that you've heard of, man. That you know are good for you. And it works so well, man. I love to use it. Plus, guess what? They've got special holiday scents just for the holidays candy cane sugar cookie fresh mistletoe I'm telling you there's a scent for everybody with this company and I love them plus if you go to nativedeodorant.com and use the promo code stevo you get 20% off your first order and like I said man this company they're good people they do the right thing they don't harm animals they only use quality ingredients that are good for you there's no aluminum I just love them and I want you to support them I want you to smell good and feel good so one more time go to nativedeodorant.com and use the promo code stevo for 20% off your order and to feel good about smelling good and supporting good people yeah dude now let's talk about hustlers and pimps and even the gang gangs that are that are in the bay they don't they don't gang bang because of blue and red and territory and this and that. Some some of it could be neighborhood. Others could be uh, we're we're bond bound bound together by money and the hustle or like-minded things. But it's not it's not open and shut rules of you're blue, I'm red, we're enemies. It was it was never like that. It was yeah. a different kind of gang bang up there. It's just different. It's just, <laughs> gang bang. It's, just, it's, it's <laughs> if you had to analyze it and you were like law enforcement, you go it's no different. But in the streets, it's a lot. It's different than. Walking around going, oh my God, let's get to doing red. You know, it's, right, it's right, a lot right. different. It's a lot different. Yeah. And and so, like, you were basically like the first mixtape cat, right? Like, we, it was, there was no name for it. Yeah, there's no name for it. And you had just audio cassettes. And and, and what was the, the first time that, that you went out to sell them? You sold them, like, to a drug dealer? The very first tape we ever sold, I had a rap partner. His name was Freddie B. He was rapping in his world. You know, he had been to, like, you know, juvenile correctional facilities and getting in trouble and stuff. And he knew lots of people all over the city from, you know, he li- he grew up in West Oakland, lived in East Oakland. He just knew a lot of people. And I was really popular from, like, 1981, 82, like, being around the city, riding on the buses and um, having my big radio and letting people hear my raps. What do you got here? With some burritos, man. <laughs> yeah. so, I'm super popular, right? But now I got these guys coming like, yeah, man, you know my boy Freddie B, he raps, he's better than you, he's blah, blah, you know. So what they were really doing was in the spirit of hip-hop, early 80s, they're like, let's get a battle rap going with the only two rappers we know. So they they pit us to rap against each other, and we did. And as I hear a lot of rappers who became really good friends say, they first battled, and they became friends, we became friends. Mm. Okay. So... We recorded some stuff at his house, and it was cool. And I was like, dude, you should come by my house. Because I had, like, this quality equipment where you could record 
and you sound really good because I knew how to set the levels and I had the right microphones and little effects machines. And when he heard what we sounded like after recording in my house, he said, we should sell this or we could sell this, something like that. And I'm like, sell it to who? He's like, shit, some drug dealers right down the street. Right. Like, fuck, let's go. So, so that we, was the first tape you sold was to the drug dealers. She <laughs> just, just walked up to him and popped it in. One guy had a car with a nice little sound system. And we, we said, hey, you guys want to buy a rap tape? And they were like, what the fuck for? Like, why? And, and you know, <laughs> Freddie B's like, just listen to it. So they listen. And we're just sitting there kicking it, listening. One tape. And a guy walks up to the radio. He leans in the car and pre presses eject and says, I'll buy it. So when he said that, it's like, how much? Five dollars. Somebody else said, let me get one. We're like, well, we only got one, but we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Dude, that's wow. epic. And then, and, and so check this out. I don't know if you guys know this, but Two Shorts selling, like, uh, a tape before it was called a mixtape for five bucks. But then, and he's selling them to drug dealers. So, like, people who are, like, kind of, like, bosses and, and players mm -hmm. and hustlers, like, you know, people with influence. Money guys. Yeah, money people in Oakland. They start making, like, requests. Hey, man, you're selling these tapes. I want you to custom make me a tape where you shout me up. Like, like work me into a rap song. So he starts custom making rap songs for, like, bosses yeah. in Oakland. Wow. And he's selling those tapes for 20 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> wow. It's like the original and, cameo, almost. Dude, it's, it's epic. That and, was and, an accident, too. That, that wasn't on purpose. We kind of were trying to win over this one guy. We were... We were we were working with one of his drug dealer workers, one of his lower level guys. And he was bringing us over there because he had some really good equipment. And he wanted to be a rapper. And he's like bringing us to his spot. But at his spot, there's this fucking drugs being sold. Yeah. And one of the big boss guys, the actual big boss guy is walking around with this mean face and, you know, just not saying anything to us. So, we, you know, this kind of guy, you like, hey, what's up? And he just don't say shit back to you. That kind of shit. So <laughs> we asked him one day. We like, hey, you want one of our tapes? We're going to give it to him for free. And he just, like, lit into us with a, he's like, I don't give a fuck about rap music. Fuck that rap shit. Like, why would I, he's like, why would I listen to rap if it's about somebody else? If it was about me, I'd listen to it. Like, ah, uh, okay. So we like, shit, like, we got cussed the fuck out by the boss, man, like some scary shit. We like, we leave and go, man, we got to make a tape about him. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's mandatory. <laughs> so we bring him back the tape and we just go here and walk away, just here. Just give it to him. Just don't ask nothing ever. Yeah. It's absolutely fucking genius because that gets you in with the most influential people. So look at this. He never says thank you. He never says I liked it. He never said I listened to it. He never says shit. And this other guy comes walking up to us out the blue one day. We're on the streets, walking down the street. And this guy's like, like yelling. He's like, do you know where the fuck you at? And do you know who the fuck I am? He's like, if you motherfuckers don't get me a tape like you made him, <laughs> I bet not ever see you out here ever again. How day dare later, you make a tape? Day later, we're like, here you go. He was the one who, when we handed him the tape, he just gave us 20 bucks. Like, here. Okay. And he's like, y'all cool, y'all cool. So, we, so then people, that's two people that had custom-made tapes. Now the request started coming in, which is why we named them the special request because we started getting like summons. Like, so when so when you make a special so, request, yeah. are are you like like writing an entire song from scratch? Or are you just re-recording? Freestyling. So I end up with this little pad, like you know, this size, little little pocket pad. I got a pen on me or something, and I'm 
I'm like taking notes of uh, the guys on 84th one five tapes, like, you know, and just keep it wow. like where we can come back and get the money. And so somebody will pull up on us. We're like sitting on the bus stop and then like a little nice little car pull up and they go, hey, you guys are too short Freddie B? We're like, yeah, like get in the car. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we go drive to some little exclusive neighborhood where you can't get past the goons unless you they sure. let you pass. And then we go back and we meet the boss. He's like, yeah, I want to get one of those tapes. Oh, shit, We're like, okay, uh, what you want your tape to say? He's like, yeah, talk about my car and my block and, you know, name a couple of my homies. And, and I'm taking notes. I'm like, oh, my all God, this it's is, amazing. All this is going in the tape. And we come back and, and it turned into a really popular thing that, like, just the only the bosses wanted to spend the twenty bucks. Like, spend the twenty bucks. It's so like, fucking funny, like and I've never heard none of, of that. Little, none of the little guys really wanted it. That's like a like right. back, back then. Shit, dude. But this is in the eighties, right? I mean, this twenty is bucks early, is early eighties, eighty two, eighty three. Yeah. Right. How many bosses did you make it for? The whole city. <laughs> everybody and, and, wanted one. and everybody got their own legit original track you people were riding around listening to a song about themselves <laughs> sick dude. Wow. dude i mean i've never heard of that like you've got to be the only guy who came up that way and yeah. then and then presumably because these people are big bosses then now like when they've got they've got you doing live gigs and they're so the we, did all, we, we also dj the 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 hood parties the yeah. parties that you know, it'd be like in somebody's living room, uh, you know, just just whatever, like in a fucking apartment, little tiny ass apartment crammed with people, whatever it may be. And at those parties, we did a lot of personal stuff, too. Like we'd really be naming people in the crowd. So, you know, we, we right. kind of like it was what they were doing in New York and the Bronx. We like, let's sure. do our version of it. So you walk in the party, you somebody, you get your name said you know we might put you put you in like some rhyming words or something and everybody just loved us so who's putting on these parties uh we were on this uh guest like house party circuit where um i guess you could relate them to like what people might call like a rent party in the projects where you know one family's trying to raise some money in the the night Uh just just to you know so it could just be some kids or some young people trying to make some money so it's a really low investment you buy a few bottles of liquor you um you pass out some little index cards with invites and shit you only need a few hundred people and basically the formula was um you pass out these little flyers and go come to house party on 92nd avenue here's the address is from 11 p.m to 3 a.m and it's a dollar to get in the door and a dollar for a drink Something like that. All so, right. And it's affordable for the party going person. They pay me about 100 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever, 75 bucks. And we DJ your party. We rap at the shit. And, and I found out all these things that I was doing were forms of marketing that you would want your sure. young artists to do. So the first time they ever asked me to stand in front of a crowd of thousands of people, a, a friend of mine, Lionel B, he worked for Bill Graham, uh, you know, Bill Graham did all the big concerts, uh, the, the Grateful Dead, all this stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah legendary yeah. promoter, yeah. Sure. So Bill Graham had a, a a side company called Barrier Productions that he did a lot of a lot of urban concerts with. So they asked me if I wanted to be the opening act on one of the shows. It was when that song, um, it was UTFO, Roxanne, Roxanne. Okay. Like that, oh, shit, 1985. And um, they asked me to open the show. I never had made a record, never been in the studio just tapes only and I went out there in front of 5,000, 6,000 people 
and everybody in the crowd knew every word, everything I was saying. Yeah, that's that's. Like, I get off stage. I didn't even know it was gonna happen. I get off stage and come back, and people were like, "Who the fuck are you? Like, <laughs> right? How the fuck do they know your shit? You never made a record." I'm like, I don't know, man. Shit. And and then there's another like <laughs> people like me. like pretty notable thing is that rap music in the early '80s was just so clean. You know, I mean, I, I, what comes to mind for me is the song White Lines, where it's just like a say no to drugs, like, kind of thing. You know, the Fat Boys, Run DMC, like, they didn't they didn't have, like, gangster Expli- Explicit rap. lyrics. Right, explicit lyrics. And then here you come along. 1982. 1982. Fuck and that it, bitch. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Straight up. And, and uh... And you just were unapologetic about just being like, so you really were like the first, like hardcore, like explicit rapper talking about bitches and and yeah. And when you pimping. get like a, you know, the late '80s and you got groups like N.W.A. Sure. emerging, I'm right there with them, but I had a like a head start on the genre already. Like sure. When Ice T made Six in the Morning, I mean that was like the floodgates opening to to you know graphic rhyming rhymes that come from the west coast and you know with a with a west you know it's graphic like the message what's the six in the morning from ice t was that something he did on his own that was his rendition of um schoolie d's old uh parkside killers whatever it was and it's um it's just a it's just a tale of like a, a day in a gangbanger's life right no, I asked that because I'm I'm just wondering if that's like, you know, after he left NWA. No, Ice T, not Ice Cube. Oh, Ice T, not This is before okay. Ice T. Oh Ice-T, shit! Yeah. Ice T makes his movie, shows up in the movie Breaking. Yeah, you're right, and, you're right, and he, right. And he's course. making records before us. Like Dr. Dre was in it kind of early as a world class record crew, but, um, I was on the explicit shit when they were all doing that Egyptian Lover. Is you know being sure, sure. he's doing these hyper sex songs, but they're not really explicit lyrics. They're just explicit content. Uh-huh. And but I'm in Oakland, and I'm like, bitch, suck my dick, like literally. <laughs> right. And when they finally, when they finally got me on the stage, which I come at the same time as Eric B and Rakim and Public Enemy, you know the, the 87, 88, 89. But I'm already like seasoned. I've already been in front of. Hundreds of crowds. I've, right. I've done so many house parties with the most ruthless gangsters that, like, basically, you better be good or you might get beat up type shit. So, so, so you go from seventy five girls, and then you got your own thing is uh, is dangerous. And dangerous music is just a carbon copy of what seventy five girls is except doing. Except it's your shit. Except we own it now. We, right. We don't. We don't just work right. for the big brother. And, and how long does the the dangerous thing go? It gets us all the way to uh, Jive Records, and everybody who started Dangerous Music with me, I think it was around, we started it in like um, 87. Okay. So 75 Girls is like 85, 86, 87. Somewhere in the middle of 87, we switch over, and we go down, and we start our own company, and we call it Dangerous Music, and we put out Freaky Tales, and we get the money now. Right. Like, and then now, like, 1989, now you're doing I'm on straight jive. fucking... It's, it's a ar- big deal. Everything's big. Arena uh, tour with N.W.A. Uh, all that shit. An arena tour with N.W.A. is a very big deal. 
You know, I made a very big deal out of something recently, which was to try to set a world record for doing the highest belly flop ever done into pure pee. You know what happened when we collected over 190 gallons of pure pee? It just turned out that that pee was way too dark. You know why? Because I was dehydrated, man. It turns out, like, two out of three Americans experience dehydration on a regular basis. Some crazy statistics, man, and I'm one of them. So I've been taking hydration super seriously, and I finally found the ticket, man. It's called Liquid IV. And... This stuff is absolutely delicious, has less sugar than one apple, and by pouring one of your little stick packets into 16 ounces of water and pounding it, you get way more hydrated than if you had just drank that water alone. These people are on top of the science, man. And honestly, I just like it because it's so darn delicious. But I'm also very concerned about staying hydrated. So it's one-stop shopping with Liquid IV. And speaking of shopping, if you go to liquidiv.com and use the promo code STEVO, they're giving 25% off the orders for people from the Wild Ride podcast. Man, I love this company. I love this product. And I love taking care of myself and being a healthy guy. So join me, okay? Get on over to liquidiv.com, use the promo code STEVO to enjoy 25% off your order. Plus, wait until you get a load of all the flavors, passion fruit, lemon lime, like guava. I'm telling you, stay hydrated with me, and let's talk about NWA Arena Tours. So and that was in arenas? Uh, we, yeah, that's the first time I went out. Uh, it was the Straight Outta Compton tour. First time I straight out. So you're the opening act for NWA. I, actually, I was the guy. Easy, Easy E called me. He's the leader of NWA. Sure. He called me and said, "Hey, you want to go on tour?" I'm like, "Hell yeah!" And I was the act that went on right before NWA. Sure. So it was a lot of opening oh, acts. Oh, got you. Okay. We merged tours with LL so Cool J. You're, you're the, the the co-main event. We merged tours with LL Cool J for about two weeks. So they were like co-headlining, and that's not a match. <laughs> and that tour came along with like Salt and Pepper and De La Soul right. and Kid and Play, and and you know these guys are like everybody's got hot records, but if I get you like somewhere deep down south or somewhere in some little town in in Michigan somewhere, you ain't fucking with me. And I ain't gonna lie, I was I was out there murdering groups like murdering like I I dare you to come on stage after me because if you if even to this day, if you come on after me, you have to be of that cloth of the crowd loves me. They love my music. I'm good. like, like I know a lot of groups that can go on before and after me, and we give them like the one, two, three, and the crowd's having the best night of their life. But if you dare, like, don't do what I do to a crowd, and you come on after me, it really shows what you can't do. Like, if you go on before me, they love you. I come on, it turns up. And they don't notice it. But if you come on after me, you better be one of those guys. That really yeah. So and the NWA did pretty good after you? Oh, of course. I mean, they, yeah. they, had this, they had all the fucking, you know, crowd participation. Yeah. They had all the drama in the show. They brought the stage set. They, they, they had would, the fucking crazy explicit shit. You know, they could this. go from like, they used, to come, they used to come on like a Ren and Dre would do a little get everybody hyped and do a couple songs. Then Ice Cube would come out and do a 
about 10, 15 minutes by yourself. And then they build up to this whole That's thing cool. where you finally get to see Easy, and they all say all these fucking songs. It was, it was amazing. Like, oh, I, wow. Fun after parties. They, they did a pretty good rendition of what that show was like in the movie, straight out of Compton. Oh, cool, man. It was a lot of people, a lot of us who were watching the movie, like, you know, pe- you know people who are it's close. It's tough. People who are close to stories, they go, that ain't how it happened. Right, <laughs> but, right. You know, it's tough to get like, right. I was standing there that day. I know it really happened. So right. it was it was that type of situation. And, and and I heard that when you were on tour with NWA in 1989, that they had, like, protests outside the arena like oh, yeah. like that actually succeeded in shutting shows down yeah it was um, a lot of threats if you sing those explicit songs you're going to jail it was um i remember one show i wanted i feel like i don't even want to say where we were but we were somewhere it could be like northwest somewhere <laughs> and it was so serious the show was sold out and it was so serious with the parents. Yeah. The parents were protesting. And it was one of those towns where you can't go against your parents. You can't. You uh-huh. just, it's just, you can't. And literally, the tickets were sold out, and the crowd was empty because on the day of the show, the community protested the, the venue. They, they came out and picketed the venue, and the kids couldn't cross the the picket lines with their own so the show wow. was actually canceled no it wasn't canceled we performed to an empty crowd oh damn to a, a light crowd so you, you got know? all the money got all the money <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got all the money wow. I remember doing shows back then like fucking like Tulsa Oklahoma and the crowd being given strict instructions that no one stands up no one uh, like you can't like get all into the show like the most you could you're do not is to dance. when the song ends you could clap so wow. it was very strange, but you know, for the most part, we were out there wilding out. It was damn. Did you was, ever have like any sort of a legal case for like a free speech thing, or did anything like that ever come up? I've with ran you guys? from the cops a couple times after a show. Wow. I've um, I've been arrested a couple times. Like they, Columbus, Georgia, arrested everybody. They arrested okay. me there. What was it? Um, like two live crew, the uh, felony obscenity. Yeah, yeah, you just, you know... They, I caught they, that charge, I beat it too. Yeah, they tell you, I mean, it's a little fine or whatever, you can fight, whatever, but they tell you before you go on, they post it on the dressing room, they tell you, you cannot say these words, you can't yeah. do this, in, it's illegal in this city to say right. these words in front of a crowd. Yeah. And then as soon as you say, they, they always let me do the whole show, and you get arrested right on the side right. of the stage. I did, like, they, there's, it's, it's American heroes who have caught that obscenity charge. You got <laughs> Jim Morrison, Two Live Crew, Lenny Bruce. Prince. Two, Prince, Too Short. LL Cool J. Steve-O. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, dude, I, I respect the, the coming up on selling the cassette tapes, man, because, with, like, you know, I came up way later. But still, I came up at a time where, for me to to make my noise and, and get my re- recognition, like I, I had to record video cassettes. Mm-hmm. You know, I hit play on one VCR and record on the other, and I'm duplicating my tapes. I'm taking them to the post office, and so yeah, I was kind of in the mix mixtape game too, man. Exactly. I mean, you gotta you have to adapt to your environment to become popular, like. You're really good at what you do because you do it a lot. The, the whole, the whole yeah. 10,000 hour theory mm-hmm. to become an expert at something. But you know you're really good. But, you know, we know people who are better than us who never make it as far as we do. Sure. They were missing that, that drive of right. the hustle, the, the self, 
the self-marketing and stuff like that. Right. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and, and what I've arrived at is that to become successful, it's helpful to be intelligent. Mm -hmm. It's not, not, not mandatory. It's helpful to have discipline. But nothing is more important than enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is the driver of all things that fucking mm -hmm. matter, you know? When people ask me, how do I do this? Man, I want to get into this. Like, they give the advice and I'm gonna, I say the same thing. I don't give a fuck what it is you want to do. The only thing that matters is how bad you want to do it. And it's like yeah. when, you, when you're fucking, you've got your mind made up and you're enthusiastic and you're just fucking driven, that's when shit happens, dude. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was, um, I was truly in love with a woman who I thought was the most beautiful woman on the planet. I was in love. And one day she said with the most serious face, this was probably, I have like 20 plus albums. This was probably when I was on like album number four or five. And she's like, well, you know, now that we're in love and we're together, you know, you can't sing those explicit songs anymore. <laughs> and I was like, we had to break up. <laughs> we had to break up because of my love for what I did. Mm -hmm. And I, I think back on that when you think back and go, damn, what if I'd stopped the too short style at album number yeah, four? Yeah, dude. That, that's love, a, like, that, what, what would my life have been if I'd turned the corner? If you got pussy whipped. <laughs> <laughs> that's rule number one. Yeah, how to dude. be a player, right? <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's like, you know, some 99 problem shit, dude. You yeah, can't. You you gotta, can. When you're in this business, I mean, things like that, like, you gotta go just shy of pussy whipping. Like you, you right when you notice the whipping, you gotta run. That whip comes out, dude. I'm, I'm. You gotta I, run. I'm I mean, where she's it, com it, it comes to like you can't hang around your friends anymore. Like yeah. things right. that are making you you that she got right. you for. Right. She right. said you can't do that shit no more. So, so, so when, when your uh, your Easy E reaches out to you and brings you on tour, and that's just fucking that's massive, man. I mean, right? That's where like it's no longer an Oakland thing. Yeah, that's where I'm like selling three hundred thousand records, and I go on tour, and the tour ends, and I'm at eight hundred thousand, and yeah. then, you know, shortly after that, it goes to one point three million. It's like selling five hundred thousand in chunks just because yeah. of that hype of, of what we did, you know. Right. You, your your parents were both accountants, right? My parents were college graduate accountants, and they wanted nothing to do with their child being a rapper. And like you said, it takes a, a certain amount of intelligence. It helps. Yeah. And it really does. It's like, you know, your parents say shit like, you're not wasting that brain. Like, I'm, I'm not. I just adjusted it right. to do this other new thing that you don't really know about yet. You, you'll catch on. But how, how much did their career, like, stick in your head about, like, money consciousness when the money started rolling in? Uh, were you good at it, like, keeping track? Or were you just like, I, I just it? had the smarts to never let anyone else be in charge of the business or the money. So I was like, you could be my partner and we could look at these things together, but you can't be the one who looks at the numbers and brings it in and then yeah. tell me what my right. Nobody could ever be that. And I saw a lot of my peers have that person in their life and that was their downfall. But you were like looking at the reports and like you were I good at that shit. Thing. It, everything had to go through. My name had to be on everything. Hmm. Like you could work for me, but I couldn't work for you. And, and, and you know, there, there's times where, where you're switching camps. And then once you switch the camp, the old camp, they, they, they got some kind of problem. They feel like all the money you're making now is their money. So even if you're in charge and you're looking at all the numbers, yeah. you're I was, still... I was smart enough at a young age, though, to, like, at the end of those... those Partnerships? <laughs> just, like, I'll buy everybody out. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, how much you want to go away? Here you go. And instead of the fight for life, 
So if you buy them out, we can still be friends, you know? So you, you went the Snoop route instead of the Dre route. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dre did something that I don't think anybody would do. He just he walked just, away. He, he walked away. And, and, and that, he didn't take anything with him. He started over from scratch. He literally, legally, was like, what, 25% owner of what he walked away from. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was worth $400 million. Right, and and, and all that, and how many how many of those hundreds of millions were just disappeared with everybody in jail or dead? It was I, it was like it appears to be like some kind of bad money or something like it was. It's crazy how much money just it's fucking crazy went how poof. many people ran away from it. Yeah, and then, walked away, ran right. away, and just like just go like they just left. Yeah, walked away, but then Master P bought Snoop's. It's his Snoop, exit. When you talk to him, he says that um, that exit from Death Row and that time he had on No Limit with Master P saved his life. Uh, absolutely. Like he didn't have a way out. He didn't really have the the business sense to get out. Sure. Master P showed him, this is what you're worth. This is what you can do. And, and Master P brought him to Atlanta, right? Like, and... In, in he, he, Master P, I, I feel like he was doing a lot out of New Orleans and yeah, I think Rouge. it was Louisiana. Ah, and, okay. Yeah. And, All right. And I think Snoop says he went and got a house in New Orleans or Houston. Or right, somewhere right, or right. I think it was Louisiana. Somewhere down there, and he just kind of got him out of his element. And and he ended bought up, out the contract. And a lot of what Snoop and the Dog Pound were doing when they became Death Row artists was what things they picked up on that journey down yeah. south through Master P. It was, it was. Um, it was, um, no, wait, let me get it right. They were down south before Death Row. And then they did their Death Row thing and went back down oh, south. Oh, shit, okay. That, they that... were down south in Houston and messing around, you know, before they signed the Death Row. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. Let me get it right. Yeah. I remember. That was yeah. just so, I mean, it's still the same idea. You know, you're going you're gonna, to, like, end a partnership, you buy them out. And when you do that, is it like you got lawyers like with contracts to make it like airtight, or is it just like, hey man, be cool, here's some money? It's a little bit of both. Okay, yeah. You gotta like, you gotta have some kind of man to man, and then you gotta have some kind of legal, yeah, contract to, to dissolve it. But yeah, like, uh, hmm. and then I guess some people don't really give too much of a fuck, you know? I just I just try to avoid the fallout that turns into a war. Right, because you know it, it, that's that's a waste of time, man. So it's a waste of time. And then looking back, I saw a lot of careers end through those little in, in inner circle feuds. Feuds, and even like man. you just pick a few people over at the signed to a major label, and one album doesn't go right, and you hate three people over there, and you go to war with, and you just fucking end your career. Dude, I, I brought this up with Be Real, how I, I watched this uh, Hulu documentary about Takashi 6 9 mm -hmm. And, like, that's a, a prime example of where, like, he and, and it wasn't even with the label or anything. It was just, like, he's got five, like, like hits on the Billboard 100 all at the same time. He's got money coming in, but he just decides to switch his loyalty from, like, one crew to another crew. And they're, like, watching all this money come in. And he's, like, ah. Like, that's asking for trouble. And somehow he's still doing good. I, you know, he's a... <laughs> He's actually probably killing it right now. I, mean, I don't, it really is. So. I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I like. I, I don't have an opinion e either way. You know, like it's not my place to have an opinion. But I was fascinated by that documentary, man. I, <laughs> I thought I thought it was fucking truly interesting. Yeah, he um, he played with fire. Yeah, too. He, <laughs> he played did. With yeah. fire. 
And they, I think they'd be still like probably playing with it. But um, back to the NWA tour, mm-hmm. like Easy reaches out to. Did you ever lay down a track with Easy? Rappers didn't make songs together back then. Dif- different crews didn't. You didn't mix the crew. Like your crew had your DJs. Uh-huh. Your crew had your rappers. You had your beat makers. And that's you guys did that for your kids. So, and then and then Run DMC changed the shit by doing the Walk This Way with Aerosmith. <laughs> yeah, but that was also a collab that was different. It was it was Rick Rubin, right? It was in Rick Rubin's mind, and he right. always wanted to infuse rock and roll, heavy right, metal, right. sound and rock with rap, and he did it, and it was big, and he knew he was right what he was hearing, but it's still what they were doing back then. If you weren't under Russell Rush management or yeah. assigned to Def Jam, you weren't really getting the right. Rick Rubin, Russell Simmons influence. Yeah, and it's probably a pretty big deal too, just the fact that Easy E reaches out to you to bring you on tour. Like that's probably another thing that you know he, he just knew that he was looking at the numbers, he knew how popular I was in the cities that we were going to and he's like, you know, we had to at one point before I dropped the album I toured on was Life is Too Short. Uh-huh. And they were touring on Straight Outta Compton. Right before that, he had Boys in the Hood, the song out, which was... Like yeah, he had a, Easy Does It, yeah. It was like a super giant record of, like, summer, like, 87, 88. Like, the, the songs that just don't go away. I had Freaky Tales out. Those two records, Freaky Tales and Boys in the Hood, were, like, they're, like, the best two records you can listen to in your car if you had woofers. Hmm. And, <laughs> um, I mean, we just had that neck-and-neck thing we were doing where we did smaller shows together and he saw the reaction to the crowd and he just was like i guess he had the opportunity to headline a tour and he's like i want to take this guy to show with me we didn't really know know each other we right. just knew each other from backstage and what's up and you know and what did, was your label at that time you said jive records i was on dangerous music but i just signed a job i own dangerous music right. but i just signed a job so so what's the motivation for that like if you own the label that you're on like what can Jive Jive can offer you distribution just distribution distribution and- worldwide distribution we were limited to we were making a lot of money but we were limited to how fast we could manufacture the product oh wow and then get it to to the streets and then right keep it in stores we we kept selling out we could never manufacture enough dude that's a good problem to have and when you do negotiate that deal with Jive Presumably because you've got your own label and you're in pretty good shape owning your own shit, that gives you leverage to negotiate a better deal with Jive. To a certain extent. The, yeah. the, the labels are masters of, you know, just right. pimping. Exactly. So, because it's no matter, Catch-22. No matter how tough you get, you still turn around five years later and go, this fucking shitty-ass deal. Right. Especially so. because, like... You know, we're talking about a time when it was impossible to really break out as a mainstream star yeah. with like with like global success without a record deal. But it was impossible to really make money without owning your own music. So it's like chicken and the, and the egg. Like, like, you know, you don't think of it when you're 20, 21 years old. But like logically, like what does it? Why does it take 50 pages of a artist contract? And fifty pages of a publishing contract to make a deal with you. Why? Do, what does fifty fucking pages do? Mm-hmm. And I mean, literally, in these contracts, literally, you could have the best deal from page one to twelve, 
and fucking page 36 in one paragraph says everything we agreed to on 1 through 12, yeah, it ain't true. <laughs> right. And they're like, well, you should have told them to take out this paragraph. I fuck I knew. It yeah. just says where to, where for, where right. as in one sentence. Right. right. It's like, right. Yeah. You, you need a lawyer to look over the contract to sign your own lawyer. Exactly. So I don't know about that. But uh, but you did, need, you, did you have a later in life? You, you really you really <laughs> learn that I need I need a lawyer. Right. And then I need a lawyer to lawyer right. on my lawyer. Well, yeah, yeah. It's like if you if you sign a lawyer on, they're like, okay, cool. Like just sign this contract with us. You're like, that's what I'm hiring you for. Right. Yeah, but, who wants uh, a contract? Yeah, what the fuck. <laughs> no, so when, when you signed a job mm-hmm. in uh, like what like '89 or before? It was '88. '88. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point. Do you have a lawyer negotiating oh, yeah. your deal with Jive? We had a, we had lawyers and everything, but at the same time, we were we were at a point where we couldn't really we didn't we didn't want to become that company that like we should have like uh-huh. if you think about what it could have been it could have been a hundred million dollars we could have been that but that's a lot of fucking work sure and you know I'm a music guy I didn't I didn't want to get tied up with the being a manufacturer and a but, but, distributor. What was the Jive deal? It was a seven no, d- seven no. album deal? Yeah, probably seven albums the first that's time. A lot, that's, that's a lot, dude. That's a lot of albums. That's a lot of albums. Well, probably six because we came in with one. Okay. But, and then we gave them the second one really fast. So it wasn't really... Yeah, right. Like, I heard that you delivered all your albums before you even received the budget to yeah, make the I albums. Yeah, just turned the albums in and then, you know, we got through the contract pretty quick. And then we renegotiated for like like a really decent look, but and how many how many albums on the renegotiation deal? Probably another handful. I ended up at Jive with like twelve, thirteen albums somewhere up in there. Right. But um, how many did you put out is, on Dangerous? Uh, before Jive, yeah. We Dangerous. We just did the one album, Born and Mac. Okay, so so and, three on seventy five. And we became girls. a production company. We signed a lot of groups. Jive and a couple other labels. Oh, so and, you did the the whole like uh, Interscope and yeah. and Shady kind of exactly. You kind of like the sub the yeah. sub label, whatever they call them. Right. So you gotta put the shit in context though, because I'm doing good. I'm regional, very strong West Coast. And, right. You know, little tentacles out beyond the West Coast, but I'm get, I'm making most of my money from right. San Diego to Seattle, and just it's West Coast, and that's it's the distribution people that I'm using out of the bay they don't they can't really get sure. it to New York or anywhere unless they partner with another distribution so we we, we know we knew our limitations and then we you're looking at Jive Records who approached us and at the time they had the hottest rapper Kumo D they had they just signed uh, Boogie Down Productions KRS-One they uh, just man. signed Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince Will Smith and they hadn't got Tribe Called Quest yet, but they had um, Houdini. Houdini was next to Run DMC. You had me at, at KRS-One. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but I'm saying they had Houdini. This is before KRS. Yeah. This Houdini's huge. They're the group that comes on the show with Run DMC and everybody, and they steal the show. That's those guys. Mm. And they're on Jive. They had fucking Billy Ocean, Caribbean Queen. Wow. And it's like they're doing big things. But they, to me, I'm looking at... Um, Kumo D, and I'm looking at um, uh, Houdini, and I'm like, well, shit, that's big. Right. Can- and, and and you're right. Like, they, they're going to give you all the the 
promotion. All, all they're gonna they're gonna blow you up. It's kind of like me being stand up comedy. Mm -hmm. Like I do I do comedy, and my uh, my last comedy special I put it out on my own website. Did great with it. But that's like independently putting it out. Now, like, what's what's going to be the effect on my future career if I put my next special out on Netflix? That's mm -hmm. probably pretty similar. Right. So, yeah, man, it's just, um, it was just a matter of distribution. And then on the other end, you probably, the percentages in the deal don't allow you to get what you get when you're independent. But then that's a trade-off for traveling around the world and getting paid a lot of money to right. perform in arenas. It's, and then you get, I don't get this career, I don't think I get the career that I've, I've had if I stay independent. Right. I get sort of like, you know who stayed independent as far as Cash I know? Cash Money Millionaires? They, they, ended, they, no, they ended up with, um, they ended up with Universal. Cash oh, money early on. They got the with Sylvia Brown. Remember the five million dollar deal? And they got the five million, and it was okay. You know, it was juvenile. Back that ass up and all that. They went, they went big. Um, now I'm talking about more like a guy like Sir Mix a lot. Okay. Who, who did really good in like real estate, and he, you know, he did really good with his independent label, and he decided to be his own mogul up in Seattle without becoming what the rest of us did, which was, you know. Ch trading your independent hustle for uh, how about master p did he ever sign to a label i really feel like he went to priority which was like not a major major but he went to priority and hooked up a deal where he hooked up a deal where he could make a lot of money with major distribution but right. with independent type of so he kind of split the numbers. difference yeah exactly and that's what um a lot of people did that over at priority yeah and i think um you know, Master P, he really was, I think the smartest thing he did was to, the About It, About It movie. And he okay. did the movie the same way he did the independent distribution of the music. So these really cheesy-ass movies made a lot of profit. You yeah. know? So from there, you couldn't really hold him back anymore. And, you know, everybody makes their little, little chess move that gets you to the next level. Sure. So, so people didn't collab on tracks um, together back in the day. It really didn't, unless you were claiming to be, the, you know, uh, affiliated crews or something. Right. It, just really, it was. I could hang around rappers all day. We would never say, "Hey, let's do a song together." It would never come up. Right. Mm, I mean, that'd be like, "Let's get in the hot tub together." Or yeah, something. It's just like, what's weird. Weird. <laughs> um, but uh, but boy, did you like end up doing tracks with a, a bunch of people, man. You made the, one with Tupac. The reason why I started doing a lot of collaborations is because in 1996, I turned 30 years old. At that time, there was a myth that 30-year-old rappers were old as fuck. Right. And when I turned 30, I released my 10th album. And 10 albums was like, Who's got ten albums? Like, like out of sure. rappers, like in 1996, nobody had ten albums. So, when I announced that I was 30 years old, I released my tenth album, and I'm stepping away from the rap game. I retire. They were like, "Oh shit!" And then they checked the the track record, and of those ten albums, it was like six platinum and like four gold, some shit like that. Some 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 crazy number and then the rumor went out too sure I got 10 platinum albums and it's like all good for PR but the, the numbers I always play on the numbers being the accountants 
child. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, the 30, the 10, nice round numbers. You know, I retire. And when I retired, I got all this free press. It's the most free press I ever got that was positive. And because, you know, negative press is free as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that shit goes far. But, no, the this best free press I ever got that was, you know, in in my favor. And it was like two short retires, two short retires, 10 platinum albums, blah, blah, blah. And it just went everywhere. I just held one little press conference and I threw a retirement party at the Century Club in, in uh, Beverly Hills in Century City or whatever. And it was just, it just, the work, the, the, my phone went crazy. Yeah. And people were like, well, if you're going to retire, let me get a verse. Let me get on my album. Do this, that. So I did a song with Jay-Z yeah. prior to the retirement. I had worked with, um, you know, some key figures. Uh, I saw Tupac. Yeah, Tupac came and got on one of my albums. And I did some stuff with Tupac with Aunt Banks, who's my guy. Um, I did the song with Biggie. Yeah. The world is filled. So now I already got the Jay-Z thing happen, happening. I did a song with Eric Sermon. Uh, me and him did a duet called Buy You Some. And, you know, he was huge in New York. So these records come out, Buy You Some. I did a song with Little Kim Call Me on the Booty Call movie soundtrack. I do the, the Biggie song, The World Is Filled, and then I had the Jay-Z song, Real Niggas Do Real Things, whatever. So this is my little... Retirement you know, party, that's your... <laughs> so I retire, and then because it's Biggie, Jay-Z, and LA, everybody start calling, saying, man, let me get a two-shirt first, two-shirt first. So I really went on like a... From that point on, I just did like a million features. And... You know, it just turned into Kevin Bacon, seven degrees of separation. You know, like, yeah. like fuck, You're the Kevin Bacon of rap. I, I did. I rapped with everybody in it, and you know, the East Coast West Coast thing broke out, and I was so wedged into loyal friendship with everybody that was supposed to be enemies in the war that when they 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 came to me and they said pick a side, and I was like, it ain't my war, like I'm. I'm from Oakland. That's great, man. Uh, dude, what yeah. DOC say about like uh, when you know I brought up how Eminem and Snoop are going after each other? He says, "Hey, man, I'm Switzerland." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> Diplomatic. Yeah. But yeah. So, do, do we have to cut this short? I, I don't mean to be I, I rude, mean, but I, 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 do we? Because I mean, we I, pushed your thing back. And do you have a premiere? At six? Oh, yeah. I hate to be that guy, but I, mean, I, mean, I see a lot of people huddling around the car looking in, so I'm not sure if those are your Scott people. Randolph. I'm Point Scott Randolph. I'm Point Lifestyle. I'm Point Scott Randolph, I mean, I had to be the, the wet I mean, blanket, dude, we, but... We, we it, could absolutely fucking... There's a guy standing right out there? There's like, yeah, two guys just showed up. Yeah, they're, they're getting right the right mic right? from the surfing thing. And yeah, I think we're getting... Right, the, oh, those are with you, because there was the another dude looking in yeah. to see what... We got the light. All right, man. Well, dude, what, what a pleasure, man. Sorry to cut everybody off. Nah, but th- nah, this I mean, this can, has been going can, fantastic. We can edit around. We can edit around it. I, I gotta tell you, man. Mm-hmm. I, I I like have had my struggles with like not shutting the fuck up, <laughs> with not with like talking over people, and uh, and and I I think that this one, I think this one went really well, dude. <laughs> Yeah, you know, if, if I Steve, still fucked up a little, but but not as much as usual. <laughs> if if Steve brings back his rap career, would you ever sing a verse on one of his albums? Depends on the song. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm making a song about. Uh, it's called "I Love My Girl," mm-hmm. but. <laughs> <laughs> That's right up Two Shorts Alley, right there. I'm, I'm already on that. Um, 
<laughs> I did a song with uh, what are those guys, the Lonely Island, the Lonely. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah. god, yeah, I saw that. But, but the, I love my girl, but is, except it's about that one week a month, man. She the fucking the demon shows up, man. I can't fuck with the demon. I'm like, I love my girl, but I love my other girl, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, man, dude, it's been a pleasure, dude. Really, yeah. thank you so good much. Shit, and, good shit, good yeah, shit, good I'm, shit, I'm good so shit. sorry I was late, too, man. That that was a bad look, and, and thank you for being cool about it. Dope van, oh, man, hey, by man, way. What can we shout out for you? Uh, just make sure you let the world know about Mount Westmore. Mount Westmore is too short, E-40, Ice Cube, and Snoop Dogg. We just started a group. We just released a Wow. Set. We Whoa. released a single called Big Subwoofer, and the album's coming out. And you, and you think, okay, those guys got together and made an album. No, we actually got together and recorded fifty songs, and Shit. we put an album together. And it was really difficult to figure out which songs could make the first album. Damn, so, that's a that's a wow. power group. Mount dude. Westmore, you said. Yeah, I guarantee Mount you. Mount Westmore, Too Short, Ice Cube, E Forty, and Snoop. Yeah, look it up right now. It's, it's everywhere. Jeez, All right, dude. I'll, I'll, I'll say that in the intro to the there podcast, so that's the first piece of info they get. All right, man. All hey, right, man. Thanks, dude. Yo, dude, thank you. Too short. Yeah, dude. How sweet was that? Now, you know I love you, you guys who stick around at the very end. And I want to tell you something. Um, I've been resistant to playing back the podcasts and studying them, even though I know that that's going to make me better at it. But now, I've stumbled on a new uh, practice. (laughs) Yeah, dude. We set the YouTube version of the podcast to premiere. And then when it premieres, I go in the live chat, which forces me to review the podcast so I can study it and get better. And it allows me to interact with you guys in real time because I'm seeing every single one of your comments and I'm responding to you guys. So yeah, dude, it's a lot of fun, man. Now it's a big deal. It's the premiere of the Wild Ride podcast on the YouTube version. So I'm excited excited about that. Fuck, man. <laughs> Thanks, dudes. <laughs> Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.